So if you have your Bibles, we're reading in the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I'm going to read the last portion of verse 1 and the first portion of verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2. And it says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. And finisher. And finisher of our faith. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for the spirit that I feel right now in this house. I pray, God, that you would use my mouth, my words, to become the microphone of heaven, that you would speak to the people on this Sunday morning. For you know the needs before they even knew the need. And I pray now, God, that you would help me and empower us, Lord, to receive that which you have planted in my spirit through prayer and fasting. I pray now, God, that the the spirit would have free reign in this house. And we're going to give you all the glory and all the honor. And we're going to thank you for what you're going to do in the name of Jesus Christ. Before you're seated, would you clap your hands unto the Lord? Just as an affirmation, Lord, I'm going to receive your word. Thank you. You may be seated. On New Year's Eve, Ryder was celebrating his fifth birthday at a beach in California. It was at the tender age of five years old. Ryder loved to walk on the beach in search of crabs and small shrimp and seashells and various things that washed ashore. However, on his birthday, he found something that he had never seen before. It was a message in a bottle. He first thought he had found a message from a castaway pirate. However, the letter inside of that bottle read this way. Hi, my name is Chris. I am 10 years old and in the fifth grade. I live in Sacramento, California. Call me when you find this to let me know where it washed ashore. The letter contained a phone number and was dated September 5th, 1988. In an effort to find the author of the note, writer's parents contacted a Sacramento TV station, which made a special effort to find Chris, who would now be around 38 years of age. However, in spite of the fact that they had found the number and had an initial clue to the identity of the letter writer, there were no records in existence telling who owned that number, that phone number in 1988. Their search reached as far as the Library of Congress, but still, at every turn, they came up short. Finally, the TV station resorted to calling every 36 to 39-year-old, Chris, Christopher, Christine, Christina, in the Sacramento area. But still, they were unable to find the letter writer. Finally, they went to publish the story in hopes of turning something up, which is how we learned about the message in the bottle. This is a great story. It is a story of a 10-year-old with uh, curiosity and another 5-year-old child's lucky find. The hope is that one day Chris and Ryder will meet and the bottle will be returned to its original owner after 28 years at sea. However, until that day happens, it is a story unfinished this morning I want to speak to you on this title 
a story unfinished. You know, there's nothing quite unsatisfying as an unfinished story. I could not believe as I read the article, I couldn't believe that the story was incomplete, that it had no ending, that it left us hanging there of what was to come because we knew not if they ever found Chris, Christopher, Christine. We never knew if the writer and Chris came together to give affirmation that I found your note. It's very disappointing, but Let's be honest this morning, we all like a good story because it ends well. But there's something that is unsettling about a story that has no ending. A story without an ending bothers us because it hits a little too close to home. We like stories with lots of thrills and dramatic turns and moments of intense drama punctuated by flashes of tender passion. We like stories that keep our attention, that keeps us on the edge of our seat, that sticks in our minds for days and weeks after it's over. We like stories with lots of drama because we know and understand that the author has to play by certain rules because if it started, there has to be a middle and there has to be an ending. We don't mind the tension. We embrace the disasters. We look forward to the fight because we are pretty sure that by the end of the book, by the end of the story, by the end of the the movie, it's all going to be all right. The victor will come out on top. We are convinced before the story ever starts that good is going to triumph, that evil is going to be defeated. We feel secure in the knowledge that the hero usually survives and that the greater good always prevails. That's the reason we like a good story. Because we've learned from experience that we can trust a good storyteller. The truth is though that we really only like a good story when it's about somebody else's life. As long as someone else is dealing with the stress and the drama. As long as someone else is struggling with doubt and with fear. As long as someone else has to face the uncertainty of their story. We delight in stories of the tragedies and the triumphs of others. Because we are convinced that their story is going to end well. We read books because we know that their story is going to be okay. We hear other people's stories because we know that it's going to be all right. We like posts on Facebook of people's food because we know it's going to taste good. But let me get right down to it this morning. We like our stories in 45 or 2 hour intervals. Because we've learned that those kind of stories usually end well. I believe in the Holy Ghost that God wants to get us to a point on Sunday morning, on Monday morning, and on Tuesday morning where we're not just coming for 45 minutes of a spirit-filled service. That we're not just coming for a two-hour time frame that we've set aside to be in the house of God. But that we get a daily walk with God because I know that my story is going to be okay. We've learned to trust the person writing the story. But when it comes to my story and my life, when it comes to the tragedies and trials of day-to-day living, we are, we are not so convinced that we can truly trust the author of our story. The problem isn't with the story. We love stories. I love stories. 
I love stories. I love listening to our elders tell of, of times past and how things were. I love things of that nature. I love hearing stories because I see the here and now and how it came to be. The problem is that we struggle with unfinished stories. Our personal story is a story of unresolved tension and uncertain endings. We don't know the end of our story and that's what bothers us because each one of us has long since come face to face with the reality and each one of us has known enough disappointments and defeats to temper our expectations. We come into the house of God and we lift our hands and we say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I trust you. But we really don't trust him to the full fact that we could because we don't trust the author of the story. Because we can only see here and now. The New Testament writer says we look through a glass darkly. I don't know the end of my story. All I can see is here and now. I'm consumed with where I am and the circumstance that has a surrounding me and the winds and the waves that are overtaking me in my life. But I've come to tell you this morning, there is an unseen hand that is upon your life that if you will just trust the writer, everything's going to be all right. I've come to preach to somebody some hope in this house that there is a hand that is on your life. You may not see it. You may not even feel it. But the hand of God is on your life. And if you will keep trusting, if you will keep praying, if you'll keep leaning on the everlasting arm of God, everything's going to be all right. Huh. Trouble and trials seem to be our constant companions. Can I get an amen? It seems as if we have more defeats than victories, more valleys than mountaintops. But I've come to give somebody a little bit of hope on this Sunday morning. There's a mountain that stands before you. And if you will muster up that seed of faith that is inside of you, that said God will not put on more in my life than I can bear. That if he brought me to it, he'll take me through it. That there is an author that's got a pen and he's ready to write your story. We get discouraged. I, I've been reminiscing this week about my life and how long I've, I've lived for the Lord and I've been praying for passion. Not that I've lost passion. I don't mean to sound that way, but to be transparent, I've, I've been praying for God restore that passion I had when I first, when you first found me. Give back that hunger and that desire for a deeper and closer walk. I, I want to bring back convictions, personal convictions in my life that draw me closer to God. I don't want to have a mentality that says, is this a heaven or hell issue? I want to have a mentality that says, I want to get to know Him more because He loves me. He loved me in my disaster. He loved me when I didn't have anything. He loved me when I didn't know my own story. But I got a word for somebody this morning. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you got up out of your seat at some point in time and you walked to an altar and you kneeled before him and you surrendered everything to him, you relinquished control of your story to the one of the writer of Hebrews called the author and the finisher of your faith. When you gave your life to God many years ago, maybe even many weeks ago, you gave God the right to your life 
You said, Lord, here's my life. Whatever you want to do with it, whatever you want to take me, wherever you want to go, whatever you want to do it, Lord, here's my life. But the truth of the matter is, we won't, that sounds good in theory. But when it comes to practicality and you're in it, we forget that we gave God all rights to our life. We forget that we said, Lord, I'm yours completely, but I don't want the storm. I don't want the trouble. I don't want the, the, the problems that come with life. Living for God is not a walk in the park. It's not a, a time to go by and, and just pass by and smell the roses. No, there are potholes in, in the road to the kingdom. There are times that you're living for God and you're doing everything right, but it seems like, like that little dust cloud on Charlie Brown. It just follows you everywhere you go. But I think on this Sunday morning, it's time that we stopped and we considered the author. Who we really are serving. We're serving a God that said, let there be light and there was light. We serve a God that said, let the heavens separate and the firmament and the powers. A God that his spirit moved upon the darkness of the void and it all came back together again. That's what we're serving, an author. An author that knows how to start and an author that knows how to finish. I've got some good news for you. He does not write bad endings. He makes all things work together for good. He always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. He's made us conquerors. Not just conquerors, but more than conquerors. Not just overcomers, but more than overcomers. He doesn't promise that you're going to come out good on the other side. He always promises that he'll be with you on the other side he never promised that there wouldn't be valleys but he promised you would be victorious in the valleys he promised that when you go through a trial whatever the outcome we will have a triumphant victory he never promised that there would not be heartache. He doesn't promise that there would never be bad news. He doesn't give the false assurance that the story will always be pleasant and free from moments of doubt and fear of crisis. But he promises that if I will keep my trust in him, if I will continue to do what I'm doing, if I will continue to pray, if I will continue to worship, if I will continue to live for God to the best of my ability and just allow him to grab a hold of the pen and to write my story I know that all things are going to work out for the good because he's just not the author of my story but he's the finisher of my faith He's never written an unfinished story. We may not be able to see where we are. We may not be able to imagine a favorable outcome to our story but that's not my job to know the outcome. My job is not to know where God is going to take me. My job is to walk and trust in the Lord on a daily basis. When God writes the endings, He knows how to finish the story. He brings all things to pass according to His Word. Hear me this morning. This is what the Lord has been pressing in my spirit. He sent me in this house this morning to tell somebody that your story isn't finished. I know that seems so simplistic, but my heart is so heavy and burdened. I feel the weight this morning of this simplistic word to tell somebody that God isn't finished with you yet. 
You may think you know the ending. You may think that you have got it all figured out. Or oh, if I do this, God, God will meet me over here. But that's not how faith works. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. But in all of your ways, acknowledge him. How do I acknowledge a God when I can't see him? When I can't feel him? I do what I know to do. Because I can never go wrong by doing the right thing. You can't get better by missing church. You can't get better by stopping praying. You get better by continually to come. You don't know how many times that I've came into a service and I've not felt the goosebumps on goosebumps. You don't know how many times I've got down to pray and put my face in my couch or in my carpet and cry out to God, God, I need you. Where are you, God? But it didn't stop me from praying. It didn't stop me from calling out because his ear is not deaf to my cry. His arm is not short that he cannot reach you where you are. If you just keep coming, you keep praying, you keep searching, God is going to show up when you least expect it because your story is not over. We try to figure it out. We get a financial strain. We say, you know, if I just go get a second job, yeah, I'm going to miss prayer. I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss that. And there's sometimes you have to do what you need to do. But I think we should trust in God first. But we've resigned ourselves to a certain outcome. Well, this is the way it's always going to be. Statistically, you're looking at a drug addict. Statistically, you're looking at an alcoholic. Statistically, you're looking at a, a woman abuser. Statistically, you're looking at someone who can't trust anybody and rather fight us still. But by the grace of God, such were some of you. <laughs> because God looked down, he saw your life, and he said, I did not create you to live that way. I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to give you grace. And look what the Lord has done. You're blessed beyond measure. You're blessed beyond capability of your own hand. But thank God my story isn't done. Don't you dare put a period where God puts a comma. Don't you dare put a period where God puts a conjunction. Some of you are right in the storm, but you're in the middle of what was and what is to be. somebody rejoice right now because God's about to write a new paragraph in your book. God's about to unleash a new chapter in your story. <laughs> Don't you dare fall into the fatalistic trap of believing that your outcome is already settled. It's not over until it's over. As long as the author still has the pen in his hand. My story is not over. It may look like I don't know how, I don't know why, I don't know when, but I do know who. Think about it for a moment. Moses messed up the plan of God. He was saved. He was raised in Egypt. He was called back out on the backside of the desert. But he messed up the plan of God for his life. He was supposed to be the deliverer. He was supposed to be the one who set the people of God free. But he got ahead of God's plan. 
He tried to do it on his own, his own way. And instead of being a deliverer, he became a murderer and a fugitive from the law. He was forced to run from his life. He found himself in Midian, married and raising a family as a stranger in a strange land. His fall was dramatic. He went from the king's palace to keeping sheep on the backside of a dusty desert. I'm not sure where the backside of the desert is, but I'm pretty sure to certain description that it's intended to convey a place where no one goes on purpose. Where no one goes to find themselves there. They only find themselves forever trapped in a land of forgotten dreams and broken promises. I've come to tell somebody under the sound of my voice this morning. You may have stepped out of the will of God by trying to do it on your own. But where sin abounds, grace much more does abound. You know what that means? That means when you make a sidestep this much, God's grace is already out here. You can never fail God enough that he cannot reach out and say I'm going to finish your story I'm going to do what you cannot do it's time that we wake up in our spirit and we realize I can't do it on my own for it's not by might it's not by power but it's by my spirit saith the Lord of hosts if you're going to build a life you've got to put God as the foundation It was there on that backside of that desert that Moses found himself settling for something less than his calling. Selling himself short of the purpose and the reason for his life. But somehow he made peace with the fact. After all, he got here by his own hand. I imagine Moses is there sitting on a rock in the hot sun. Looking there going, you know, well, it's not too bad, I guess. I don't have anybody fussing at me. I just hear sheep bleeding all day and I move them over here and I move them over there. It's not so bad. You know, the enemy can get you so lullabied in a mental state that says, well, I guess this is it for me. I guess this is the way it's always going to be. We got to stop listening to the lie of the enemy and saying, this is the way it's going to be. For you can make mistake after mistake, but you know this. Every time your foot hits the floor on that, that early morning, that mercy is renewed in your life and it's from everlasting to everlasting it goes and it goes and it goes because God loves you enough to not let you die in your dilemma he was Moses was the one who made that terrible mistake he banished himself to a nomadic lifestyle No less than 40 years a lifetime, he lived in the shadow of his mistake, toiling in the hot sun, watching his father-in-law's sheep with no company at all, except the haunting questions of what could have been. I'm reasonably certain that by the time Moses had lived in Midian for 40 long years, the story was all but over as far as he was concerned. He was never going to get another shot to do that. He was never going to sing the special. He was never going to stand before them again because he had messed up. He made a mistake by trying to do it on his own. I'm reasonably certain that he was the last person they ever expected a divine life-changing encounter with God was was Moses at Midian. He never expected God to show up there. He never expected God to come back and meet him where no one else was. He never expected God to visit him once again. In fact, he had riddled 
himself down. He'd whittled himself down mentally, emotionally, and even physically to the point that says, God can never use me again. But I want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. God was not done with Moses, and God is not done with you. Your mistakes do not define you. Your failures do not dictate who you are. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. What we have to do is have an awakening in our conscience that says, I've tried it along on my own, and now I need a God to intervene and to take over my story. Don't sit here today and presume that you know the end of the story. Don't presume that your failures dictate the limits of God's grace. I'm here this morning to tell you, you're in the middle of an unfinished story. We look at the life of Joseph, completely different, but no less it was disappointing. His story was utterly sidetracked through no fault of his own. He did nothing wrong. He got a coat from his parents. God began to show him dreams. And he had an interpretation of those dreams. He was betrayed by his dreams. He was abandoned by his brethren. Condemned to life in a foreign country among foreign people. His story had dramatic ups and downs. He goes from defeat to success only to fall again to the depths of prison. But even then the hand of God exalts him and he rises from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. He goes from the dungeon of the prison up to before Pharaoh. And he finds himself again a second time to Pharaoh in all the land of Egypt. As satisfying as that should have been, as rewarding as his newfound wealth and position should have been to him. It was a heartbroken Joseph that resigned himself to living out his days in the land of Egypt. A stranger from his father's household. No doubt he had long since given up on his dreams. No doubt he had long since resolved that this was all there ever would be to his story. Until one day. Can you imagine his surprise when his brothers appeared before him? He's rationing out grain as the dream and the interpretation was coming to pass. He was giving out grain to, to help the families live during the time of family and only to have all of his brothers appear before him. He never expected that. It was a reunion that he had long given up on. It was the fulfillment of a prophetic dream that had probably done his best to forget that God wasn't done with Joseph yet. God wasn't done with Joseph because he had saved him. He put him through all of that turmoil, all that, all that struggle, all that heartache, all that, that place of, uh, 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 of struggle and tribulations and trials for one single purpose to save his family. You may have gone through some tough times and some struggles here of late and you don't understand why, but you don't know the end of the story. You may be battling some things in your flesh and in your spirit, in your home and on your job. Maybe in your marriage and in your finances. Whatever the case may be. But I've come to tell you that God is not done writing your story. You don't know who's going to come at the end of time. And you're going to be the one that provides what they need. I've got a word for some prodigal sons and daughters. Some family members that have loved ones that are not in the fold right now. Your prodigals are going to come back. Yesterday as I was here, I was in the prayer room for a couple of hours and I lay before the Lord and I got up and I laid my hands on those glass jars that are back there. And God kept telling me their story's not done. 
Their story's not done. The prodigals are coming home. And I begin to pray over them and travail over them. And I've come to give somebody hope today. You keep letting God write your story. Because God is continuing to write their story. That everything they're going through. Don't you pray it to stop. You pray God. Let your will be done. Because it's going to be those situations. Those circumstances. They're going to awaken them. Just like he did the son. The Bible says he would have faith. They're going to get to the point where the only thing they can do is say, i got to get back to the Father's house. i got to get back home. So I've got a word for you. They're coming home. The prodigals are coming home because there's stories to be written. It's an unfinished story. You may have been wounded. You may have been hurt. Even suffering a painful wound in the house of a friend. Hear what I'm telling you this morning. Your story is not finished. God is not done with you yet. I may be the only one that this goes for today. I'm a true believer that when you point one, you have three more that come back. Four more, to, three more that come back and tell you it's all, it comes to me more than it does you. I look at David, one of the greatest men in the Bible. In fact, David was the only one out of the Bible that God said he has a heart after me. He was a shepherd boy who became a warrior, who God used to accomplish great and mighty things. And over time, the warrior became a king. David was much better than a war, much better warrior than he ever was a king. As, as a king, he became a little lax in his personal devotions. As a king, he became a little intoxicated with his own power and position. As a king, he decided to let others do the fighting while he did the keenly stuff back at the palace. It was of his own fault and own choice that he was on the roof that day while his men were off to battle. He was in a place where he shouldn't have been during the hour of a day where he knew he would see what he would see. It was the lust of David's flesh that compelled him to take another man's wife. He never intended for Bathsheba to become with child, but he certainly intended to hide what he had done. It was cruel and conniving, guilty king that finally had a faithful soldier carry his own death warrant back to the front lines of the field of battle. The singing shepherd, the mighty warrior, had become a murderous king. The prophet Nathan would come to him and he would confront David and he would say, David, if a man had a sheep and he had plenty of sheep, but he went and took the only one that a poor man had. He said, bring that man to me now. We will kill him. And David looked at him and said, David, you are that man. You've committed this terrible atrocity. You who have so much have been taken from whom have so little. David's failure was beyond measure. But I'm amazed that every time I look back at the lineage of Jesus Christ, how that God purposely grafted David's sin with Bathsheba into the lineage of Jesus Christ. I have no doubt that when David stepped on that roof, rooftop, he stepped outside of the will and the purpose of God. However, somewhere within his divine providence, God made a provision within his will for that mistake to end up in the lineage of the Messiah. Think about that for a moment. The man who the Bible says is after God's own heart, committed a, a fatal mistake of adultery with another man's wife, and then had that man Murdered on the field of battle. But yet David finds his name in the lineage of Jesus Christ. 
You may feel like you've messed up so bad this morning that your story is going to end in defeat and tragedy. Let me encourage you this morning that if God can take a failing man like David, if God can take David's life, adulterer, and graft him into the lineage of the Messiah, the lamb who was slain from the foundations of the world, then you need to understand that your shortcomings, your failings are nothing that God cannot overcome. That God wants to graft you this morning into the body of Jesus Christ. You just simply have to throw your hands in the air and repent of all of your sins and say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. And God says, I forgive you for that sin. And then you go down in the name of Jesus Christ to wash away all those sins. The Bible says as far as it is from the east to the west. And God will fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That, my friend, is how you are grafted in to the kingdom and the lineage of Jesus Christ. There's not a membership card. There's not a handshake. There's not a tithing envelope that gets you into the kingdom. If you want to be in the lineage of Jesus Christ, you must be born again. This Bible says that he knows the ending from the beginning. God knows my flaws and my faults before he ever called me into his call. He knew my propensity to follow after my flesh and abandon our faith before he ever filled us with his spirit. He knew exactly how I would mess up, when I would mess up. It's never a choice of if you will mess up, it's when you mess up. So Micah 7 and 8 says, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. It's not the get, we gotta stop looking at the fall and start looking at what tripped us up. We always wanna focus on the fall, but God said, it's not the fall that's hurt you, it's what's made you fall. It's not if you fall, it's when you fall. That's why He said, when I fall, I shall arise. There's got to be something in your spirit this morning that says my story is not done yet. And on this Sunday morning, the last Sunday morning of 2018, I mean, whoever would have thought 2018, we'd be standing on the last service, last Sunday morning of 2018. You can stand here this morning with the absolute assurity that God knows your ending from your beginning. When your faith is fresh and your heart is on fire, when all this is brand new, he knew the struggle and the stumble that would come. He knew the very mistakes that you would make. But if he can look through all the eons of time and see an adulterous affair between David and Bathsheba and the, bring the lineage of the Messiah through Solomon, the son of that union, then you need to understand this morning that his mercy has already made provision for your mistake. The outcome of a bad decision may have surprised you. It may have been something you never anticipated, but God wasn't shocked. He knew before you ever, he ever filled you with his spirit that you would need to pray back through again and again and yet again. Hear me this morning. From the very beginning, he knew all there was to know about you. And yet he still writes a perfect ending. Nothing I could have done between then and now has taken God by mistake or surprise. For Jeremiah 29 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, 
to give you an expected end. Never dreamed of being in Indiana, nor Terre Haute, Indiana. But I'm in the divine will of God. When I saw my story, I never saw leaving North Carolina. Never dreamed of marrying up. And I definitely married up. Trust me, look at me and look at her. Hmm. Never dreamed of having a family. Never dreamed of being a father with never having one. Never dreamed of being in the church with never going. But yet I stand in the presence of God. Saying, Lord, the stories may be mine, but you're writing it. Here I stand under the authority of the Holy Ghost telling someone who's struggling, someone who's weary, wounded, you're beaten, and you're battered by the storms of life that you are in the will of God. You are in the kingdom of God. You are in the church that God has put in your life to save you. You never dreamed that you would have... Possibly go through cancer or loss of loved ones so early. But I've come to tell you, God is not done with your story. Don't judge your story by where you are right now. Don't judge your story by what has already happened. Because you're in the middle of an unfinished story. The outcome is not yet determined by what has already occur- occurred. I refuse to allow the enemy to tell me that I'm done, that I'm washed up, that I'm a spiritual has-been, but I am a man of God. You are a man of God. You are a woman of God. And you are powerful. You are anointed. You are called. You are chosen for such a time as this. Your story here and now does not dictate your tomorrow. In a lot of talk radio, I love talk radio. I don't know why. I like to talk, so maybe that's why I like talk radio. There's sometimes I listen to weird talk radio. I listen to them talk about gold and silver and metal and prices. I know it's weird. (laughs) But in a lot of talk radio, they would... These precious metal dealers would run ads on their radio to promote their goods. And every ad would always end with this same disclosure. Past results are not indicative of future returns. Let me say to someone this morning, if you're going to trade on futures of any kind, you can study the data of past results all you want. But to learn... To better learn to temper your expectations with the knowledge of this simple thing. What happened in the past has no power to define what will happen in the future. What happened in your life yesterday, last week, last month is not a determining factor of what's going to come. We need a Moses 
to stand up like he did when the nation of Israel was sinning and sinning. They were in a vicious cycle. And the Bible says that Moses fell on his face before God and said, God, I'm asking you to withhold judgment. Don't let this cycle continue. Pass down mercy for generation to generation until the third and the fourth until several generations later. All God is looking for is for one man, one woman to stand up and to say, my story is unfinished and I'm not going to stop letting God write it for the sake of future generations. It's time we realize we're dealing with our own lives, the past results do not dictate future events. That I'm not going to stay in a cycle that I've been stuck in. I don't have to keep repeating the same mistakes, the same things over and over. That I'm not going to live under the shadow of a generational curse. You don't have to always be what you've always been and do what you've always done. They say, you know, people always say we're stuck in a rut. Maybe that's a southern thing. I don't hear many people in the north say it. I'm, they say in Louisiana, they say, yeah, it's a southern thing. God bless sweet tea, Bojangles, and the word rut. They say a rut is nothing but an open-ended grave. We keep moving forward and move backwards, moving forward and moving backwards. It's a cycle that we keep repeating. And I refuse to live in that, that mode, that mindset that I'm going to go get a, in a prayer life and then I'm going to back off when things get tough. I'm going to move forward and then I'm going to step back. It's not the will of God for you to do that. It's the will of God for you to run the race and run it with patience. For they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as of eagles and they will not be weary. Somebody hear that today you're running a race this morning and it's not to the swift it's not to the strong but it's to he that endureth until the end I'm closing if you would stand with me as the musicians come Paul envisions the Christian life as a race that is run in the pursuit of an eternal crown he contemplates the ramifications of that comparison. He encourages his readers to run with patience the race that is set before them. The runner doesn't determine the course. The runner doesn't choose the route. The runner simply has to deal with the highs and the lows, the hills and the valleys, the obstacles that come along the way. The runner has no power over the course. The only thing that he has the power over is his own sense of determination to finish the race. That's what Paul's ref referencing here when he says run with patience. The word patience there means endurance. This is an endurance race. It's not a short sprint, but it's a race until the end. The prize doesn't go necessarily to the fastest or the most talented. The prize goes to the ones that simply endure until the end. Paul tells us to look to Jesus, to fix our eyes upon him in a way that a runner focuses on their destination and recognize that he is the author and the finisher of our faith what Paul is simply saying is that we need to realize that this race is a simply this an unfinished story that my life is an unfinished story that circumstances of the will of God are unfolding right now that are laying out the rest of my story. 
and have an opportunity. You have an opportunity that we can grab hold of the pen and say, God, you know, I, I think I'm going to write this chapter myself and become short of the glory of God. Or this morning you can make up in your mind and say, you know what, my story is not done. I'm going to let God have the pen and continue to write my life. The challenge of all of this is simply this, to keep our eyes on Jesus. There was a little boy who loved the cartoon of Batman. He loved the idea that Batman, his symbol would come up. Batman would stand on the rooftops. His symbol would show and he would soar down and he would rescue the people from the villains, from the penguin, from Joker. Only to one day be sitting on the couch in expectation. Waiting for Batman to become victorious. Only to see Batman was captured. And it said to be continued. The little boy went to his father. He said, Dad, what's happened with Batman? It it didn't tell me what's going on. What's going on with Batman? He said, son, you'll have to wait till tomorrow after school to find out what's going on. The boy rushes home from school. Soon as he gets in, he's not worried about homework. He's not worried about chores. He turns on his television to the Batman cartoon. Only to see Batman was only in a state of deep sleep. He got so excited because now Batman is back. Penguin and Joker have been wreaking havoc among the city. And Batman was there to save the day. He came in and saved the people and rid of them of Joker and the Penguin. And he looked at his dad and he said, Dad, why did they do that? Why didn't Batman just come in and and take care of the problem in that episode? And the dad simply looked at the little boy and said, Son, because it was written in the script. As every eye is closed, every head is bowed, I'm reaching for some in this house today. I feel in my spirit, I know in my spirit I could come and put my hand on your shoulder and tell you it was written in the script where you are. That your story is unfolding right now. It is unfinished. I wonder today, as you are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses of people that have been where you are this morning, they have tried at some point maybe to write their own story. They've attempted to finish what God had started, only ending in a place of uncertainty, a place of not knowing what to do or where to go. I tell you this morning, there is a God. He's in this house right now. I feel him in this house. There is hope in this house to give you an expected end. I ask this question as I open this altar. Will you let go of the pen? And will you let God write your unfinished story? Who's going to be the first to say, God, I let go of all control of my life. I give it completely to you, Lord. I've been out there and I've seen, Lord, and I can't find anything greater than you. I can't find anything, Lord, that surpasses what you've given me, God. I'm coming to you once again. I'm coming to you there. That's it. Thank you. The Lord is in this house right now.